listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? I want to challenge you to do something with me, if you don't mind. Um, as I preach this sermon, um, trying to get at least a tad more interactive here, I want to challenge you at least one time, not a million times, at least one time, to say amen during something to the sermon, only if it resonates with you, though, okay? Can you do that for me? So we've got about 150 people in here today, so that, that doesn't count, okay? You've got to wait until we get in the sermon, okay? I'm going to be real strict, I'm gonna be real strict on this today. But uh, I'm so excited today. Uh, we start a brand new series that has just been burning in my heart um, for this entire week. And it's entitled Send Me. And it's going to be a quick series over the next four weeks. And if you were here with us at the beginning of the year, which I know a lot of you are new, maybe you weren't here with us, uh, you'll remember we actually did a series called Send Me for the first four weeks of this new year. And it was in accordance with our vision, and basically it was this idea that God is calling us to do great things here at White Oak. But those things don't happen unless the church, meaning all of us, comes together and says, God, there's some things we got to do, some things you're calling us to do, I'll go do it. Send me. I don't just want to be a fan, I don't want to be an onlooker, I want to be an active part of the ministry here at White Oak. And if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you a, a quick little story. Is that okay? Can I tell you a quick little story? It's story time with Uncle John. You know, I'm an uncle now in real life and biological life. And uh, sometimes being a pastor is kind of like being an uncle as well. You know, it's like, I'll tell you the stuff that no one else will tell you. You know, I'm, the, I'm that guy at the barbecue, you know. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit of story. Um, so the church that you're sitting in now um, has very humble beginnings. And probably none of us were here when this church began because it began back in 1938. Say, Wow. Wow, that's a long time ago, okay? That was long before I was born, or many of us were were around, but back in 1938, this church started. And this church began back when this area was like nothing. It was like rural, not even country town. It was like nothing, right? It was just a bunch of grass and pine trees, because that's the part of Texas that we live in. And White Oak began back in 1938, not as a Baptist church, just as a non-denominational Bible study, and it began, you can actually go to the place where it actually started. If you go down Mangum, down here, um, this was not the first building that we had. There was an old chicken house down Mangum where the McDonald's is. You can go to the McDonald's over there, and it was right around that area um, that the first church building was built. It was actually a chicken house that they turned into a church because, once again, it was country life, like, all the way, right? So they took an old uh, chicken house, and they made it into a church. And that was back when this was a rural area. But um, as the, the times changed, the, the area began to change. And as the area grew, the church began to grow. And so this became a very hopping suburb, really in the 50s and 60s. And so this church grew a lot in the 1950s. And it outgrew the old chicken house that we uh, once had down the road. And they sold that. And they bought this land right here in the late 1950s. And they began construction on this building because as this became a suburb, there were more people, more families, more people came to the church. Uh, That's in the 1950s. Everybody went to church. That's what I've heard, or a lot of people went to church back then. And so the church grew a lot. 
And they built this building in the late 50s, and it opened officially on 1960. In September of 1960, this building opened. And if you know anything about church and church buildings, you know that for a church built in 1960, this is a very large campus, meaning nine acres, and this is a very large building. If you go to a lot of the other older churches and buildings in the area, you'll notice they're not as big as this. Of all the small little churches in this community, this is by far the biggest one in terms of building and land, and it's because White Oak was considered back then a huge church. There were some 300 or 350 people that gathered every week, and that was considered back in that day like a mega church. Well, that's not a mega church today, right? But back then it was huge. And the church began to grow throughout the 60s and into the 70s, and it hit really what people call its heyday in the mid-1970s. There was a, a very gifted preacher here, and there was a lot of people. This area was booming. This was considered a big suburb right outside the Heights. And, but then in the 1970s, um, some tough times came upon White Oak. There was a, a well-known pastor here, who most of us in here don't know, um, but there was a well-known pastor here who made some big mistakes. He had uh, multiple affairs with multiple women in the church. And when those things came out, um, the church really began to break apart. And it was really bad timing in another sense because when all that was going down, the church was breaking apart, um, this community began to change. It began to become less of a suburb and more of an inner city area. It became more diverse and became more diverse uh, socioeconomically, and a lot of people were moving out to the suburbs for a nicer, more comfortable um, existence, and this area was not really desirable, and so the church was going through a major transition inside itself and also outside of itself. And ever since the 1970s, the church has really had some good times and some bad times, but it's really struggled to regain its composure. And if you were here with us about three or four years ago, you know that White Oak had gotten to probably what is considered, I believe, rock bottom in its history. Uh, this building was not being used. It was empty. Uh, we couldn't afford the money to use the building and run the AC, much less renovate it. And it looked a lot different back then than it does now. And we were meeting over in our gym, which we're currently renovating, but back then we weren't renovating it because we couldn't afford to renovate it. And uh, we were down to probably about 90 people on an average Sunday, which is by far the lowest this church had ever been. And a lot of the questions at that time, I remember, because I was a part of the church then, I was the associate pastor at that time. Um, the questions were, I mean, do we want to keep this thing going here? Is this something worth reviving? Is this something, does God want a church here? Do we just need to sell it and move on and do something else? And there was a group of us here that felt a conviction that God really wanted a church here. That God does not begin a church that it might die one day. Amen. There we go. That's good. That's good. Amen. Yeah. And so we came together as a group of people uh, with what we had. And um, uh, I became the pastor and I was 24 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I had definitely never been a pastor before. And I became the pastor here, and we began to just slowly but surely change things. And by God's grace, I can tell you about four years later that I believe in almost every sense of the word, we are a healthier and more God-exalting church. That we are healthy, that the questions of are we going to make it are long in the past, that we're going to be here, we've got a vibrant ministry. The question is, to what extent will that go? And the way that we've done that, and the, way that, the reason I tell you that is because every year we focus on a few things what we're working on as a church. We, we don't try to fix everything overnight because only God can do things like that. We try to do our little part. 
And this year to continue that process, and if you're here today, you're a part of that process, and you're a part of this work, and, and you're a part of reviving a church, right, and helping this church grow and become even more healthy. But we set out four initiatives at the beginning of the year, and I want to go over those with you again before I dive into the sermon, because it has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today. And the way that we framed it for 2018 is we wanted to be what we call a new church for a new day. And we thought this year that meant four different things. The first was this. We wanted this this year to be the year of the outsider. And so what that means is that we wanted this to be a church where new people were warmly welcomed and greeted and loved and um, inspired in their walk with the Lord. And so we did things like we started the, our Sunday squad, which if you've volunteered in our Sunday squad, would you raise your hand if you've been a part of that? That's a great ministry. Um, it's really our greet team, but we don't like to call it the greet team because we think it's a lot more important than that. Um, one of the biggest compliments we get as a church is I was so warmly welcomed at White Oak. And that's very rare for a small church, right? Because we love each other. It's a great church, right? You got your friends and it's hard to reach out to people. But we want to make this a year where we're welcoming the outsider. But it takes us being sent and on mission to do that. The second thing is this. We want this to be the year of your next step. And we are all in different places, but what we see is a church where everybody in the church is taking their next step towards Jesus. And for some of you, maybe you're new to church, that's, your next step is simply just coming on a weekly basis and regularly participating in the church. For some of you, that's getting into a community group and, and making friends and going deeper in the Word of God and community. For some of you, you've been doing those things. Your next step is to become a leader, to not just be in a ministry, but to lead a ministry or to lead a community group or become a deacon within the church. The year of your next step. The, th the fourth, third thing was this, year of alignment. That just means that we all want to work together in all the different ministries. And the last one was this, the year of 200. We had a passion, we've never done this before, to see our church genuinely grow. And by God's grace, um, we are running in our attendance more this year than we've ever had before in our current area. We have roughly about 160, 162 people that gather with us every single Sunday here at White Oak. And it is the highest our attendance has been. But we believe that God wants more because numbers are people. And numbers are souls. And people are what we're called to reach. And so that's our vision. But the reason why we entitle this series, Send Me, is because, church, none of those things happen unless we come together as a church and say, I'll be the one to take that next step. I'll be the one to greet the outsider. I'll be the one to invite someone to church who needs to know about the love of Jesus. I'm not going to expect somebody else to do it. I'm going to take my next step. Send me. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, some stories in the Bible that really talk about how God has sent us in the, into the world and some practical advice for what we can expect and how we can do that in our life. And so today I've got a sermon entitled, Go or No? Turn to your neighbor and say, Go or No? And I'm doing something I've never done before because I'm preaching a two-part sermon series, meaning it's like, like one of those like Law & Order episodes where like at the end it's like it's not really the end, you know? Where my Law & Order fans at, you know? I'm a huge Blue Bloods fan. My wife and I are addicted to Blue Bloods. Yeah, what's up? Amen. Amen. Amen, right? Blue Bloods, yeah. Tom Selleck, I know it's fake, but he is the best police commissioner the world could ever have. He's amazing. That, the, that mustache has probably got to be on his job descriptions. Like, you have to have this mustache. But I've titled the sermon, Go or No, because over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah. And so today we're going to look at the first half of the story, and next week we're going to look at the second half of the story. But let me give you a little background on Jonah. Jonah was a prophet back in the Old Testament. And prophets were basically people that God um, would use to speak to the world, to speak to either his people or to foreign nations. 
And so God would empower prophets and give them a word to speak. And I think what prophets tell us in the scriptures is that, like, God wants to use us, right? And I don't know why he wants to use me, and I don't know why he wants to use you, right? But he wants to. And prophets are evidence that God could just say something, but here's the reality. God created us, he sovereignly created us, and he wants to use us, and that's how he wants to do it. And prophets show us that. But what the reality of prophets also show us is that we also tend to wander away from the heart of God. Prophets were people that would go, and we always think of prophets as like people looking at like a mysterious ball and like, you will have a million bucks in the future, you know, which would be a great prophecy to receive, right? But that's not usually what most of us have, right? And like telling the future of this is going to happen. And there is some of that in being a prophet, but really what prophets were doing in the Old Testament was calling God's people back to God's heart. You've wandered from holiness. You've wandered from an affection for the Lord. You, you've wandered from a love for your brother or sister and come back to what God has for you. And so Jonah was a prophet that would bring God's message. And it's the famous story of the prophet who runs from God's call and gets swallowed by a giant fish. And people always ask, is this a literal story or is this like a cute little image, right? And so let me give you three things really quick. Do we take this literally? Um, I think we do for one reason, because if you notice in the story, it gives a lot of specific details, like it tells us what Jonah's dad's name is, okay? And usually in biblical literature, there's not as many specific details as we find in here if it's just a made-up story. So that's number one. Number two, really quick, is Jesus refers to the story in the, in the New Testament, and he appears to believe it's literal. And number three, and I don't have time to get into this, but there are several records in history of people outside of the Bible claiming to have been swallowed by a giant fish, living in it for a while, and being... Um, regurgitated, if you will, out of the fish, right, and living to tell about it, right? But the problem is, is unlike today, there's not iPhones and a television crew to record that, right? But you can look that up on your own time. But there are several historical instances of this well beyond the Bible, so I do believe that it is literal. But however, whether you take this literally or not, I believe the most important thing is to understand that God is speaking to you today through this passage. God wants to say something to you. He has a word for you. And I believe this is an extra important word in our day. And I believe that it will change your life. So let's dive in here. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. God wants to speak to us. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. There's that detail there. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And the main background you need to know here is that Tarshish was considered probably the farthest place that Jonah could have gotten from Nineveh, the place where God was calling him. And so God basically calls Jonah to go to these people called the um, Assyrians. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. But the problem is, is that the Assyrians who God called Jonah to go to were the people that he hated the most. The Assyrians were one of the arch enemies of Israel. They had been at war with them. They had oppressed them. They had um, insulted um, their God. They were a people that Jonah would have hated and disliked. And yet God calls him to go to these people. And Jonah's like, okay, God, you're calling me to that. I don't want to do it, you know. Thanks, God. I appreciate it. But, you know, I know you're calling me. I'm going to go this way, God. And so he runs from God and believes that he can just ignore God's calling on his life. 
And yet today I want to preach this from a unique perspective because I preached this, ironically actually, when I first became the pastor here. It's one of the first books I ever preached. And when I preached on this text, I focused a lot on Jonah, which is good. But I want to focus on God this morning. That's a good thing to do. Let's focus on God today. And so in this text, my question to you is simply this, is what does this tell us about God? And let me show you something this morning. We always focus on Jonah in this text, but I think the problem we often have in life is not that we don't understand ourselves enough, but that we don't understand God enough. And so when you come to the Bible, we're not just learning about ourselves, because we think about ourselves all the time. If you're like me, I think about myself quite often. But the reason we get at, have problems in life is because we don't really know about God, and God created everything. He created everything in the order that we live in, and we don't understand him. And so I think when we look at this text this morning and we think about what does this tell us about God, about how he pursues Jonah, we must realize that God already knows that Jonah does not like these people. God is omniscient. That's a theological term meaning God knows everything. So God knows that Jonah does not like the Assyrians. He knows that he is uncomfortable going to them. But God still tells him to do it. Now, what that tells us about God this morning and what you and I need to realize is that, number one, being comfortable is not God's will for your life. If you're taking notes today, write that down. Being comfortable is not God's will for your life. Now, comfort is a biblical concept, right? But what you will notice in the scriptures is that comfort is always mentioned when we're going through a hardship or a difficulty in our life right? And so kind of envision comfort like a fire truck with a really powerful fire hose, right? So if your house is burning down, right, and your house is aflame, and a fire truck pulls up in front of your house with that big old hose and starts spraying your house with water, right, is that fire hose a very good blessing in that moment? Yes or no? Yes. Now, let me give you another scenario. If your house is not on fire, okay, and a fire truck and a powerful fire hose pulls up in front of your house and unloads on your house, okay? Is that fire hose a blessing to your house? It's like, it's like destroying everything. You're welcome for the sound effect. It's destroying everything in your house. That's comfort biblically. God comforts us in our affliction. But God's will for our life is not to just have a perpetual comfortable life with no problems and no persecution for the things that we believe. You see, we often begin our Christian journey often because we need the comfort of God. And for many of us, that's why we first show up to church is because we need something. I remember when I was in the youth group growing up, right? I, I wish I could tell you that I, I first came to church because I just wanted to worship God with my whole being. I wish I could have told you that's why I came to church, right? I wish I could have told you that I came to church so that I could sit under amazing biblical preaching that would convict me and change me. I wish I could tell you that, right? I wish I could tell you that the reason why I showed up to church was to love God and to love people and to pour my life out for them. But the real reason I came to church when I was in the youth group and 12 years old was because they had basketball and they had girls, and I liked both of those things, okay? <laughs> That's why I came to church, okay? And pizza. I like pizza today. Pizza quite often. It was CC's, but it was still okay. It was a hot and ready, but it was free pizza. And when you're 11, you don't know the difference between CC's and like Pink's Pizza, right? You just don't know the difference, right? But somewhere along the way, God got a hold of my life. 
And, so, and I can't tell exactly when it was, but God began to change my heart and changed my life, and I began to love God, and I began to love people, and I began to see myself not as someone who showed up to receive, but as someone who showed up to give and participate and love and worship. And why, look, as the pastor of this church, I just want to say that I see that in so many of your lives. I love when people come into the church. I get to know them personally. I love being a pastor of a small church, and I often notice a difference between uh, why people show up originally. Usually we're lonely or our marriage is struggling and so we need some help or the money is tight or we're depressed or, um, you know, we want the kids to not grow up and be pagans. So we want to put them in kids' church and things like that, right? And so we come to church for a lot of those reasons, and those are good, and God wants to comfort us in those things. But somewhere along the way, you begin to catch a vision for your life, and that vision is loving God and serving people. And it's no longer about you. It's about everybody else around you. Church, that is the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. When you start thinking, I want to serve on a serve team, that is the Spirit powerfully moving in your life. When you start to say that my money does not just belong to me, but I want to use what he's blessed me with to bless other people, that is the Holy Spirit of God doing a good work in your life. When you decide to start showing up to a community group, not just because you need it or want it, but because you want to show up and bless and encourage the other people that are in that group, and you know you can do that in a small setting, that is the Spirit of God in your life. And so for many of us in this room, God is changing your heart, and you should be encouraged by that. But here's the problem, and here's the problem with Jonah. There will be moments when God calls us to do things, and we don't want to do it because we're uncomfortable with it. And when it comes to ministering to others, we often don't want to because maybe we don't like people, the same way Jonah hated the uh, Assyrians and didn't want to go preach repentance to them, didn't want to remind them of God's love, he didn't want to go do that, and so he ran from that call. Maybe we don't like people. Maybe we don't like them because they're on the other side of the political aisle or they believe differently than we do, and so we don't want to love and serve them. Maybe we're just afraid of people, and I experience this a lot even as a pastor when I know someone needs the love of God, and I know I need to tell them about Jesus, and I know I need to invite them to church, but I'm afraid to do it because what if they think I'm a weird religious zealot or something, right? And then I begin to realize in that moment that I, I probably still too heavily rely on people's opinions of me. That heaven forbid someone think I actually love Jesus and I believe in his church. Maybe we're afraid of people. Or maybe we're just too focused on our life, a.k.a. we're busy, right? We've built a life around everything that we do and we want and we love and we don't have time to serve people and to go to people with the love of God, just like Jonah. But please know today that just because we feel uncomfortable with something, it does not mean that God is not calling us deep into it. And so we see Jonah running from this calling, but we must know he will not get very far. Go back to our text today, Jonah chapter 1. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. Basically just meaning it was a big storm. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. And just know that, that this is not just a detail in the story. This is also God conveying that like he was asleep. He was running from God and just ignoring him. He was asleep in life. And many of us, that's where we're at today. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God that perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
And what we see here is profound. And I promise you, most people, especially in American Christianity, do not know this reality, that there is often providence behind your problems. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. You ever seen like a Christian poster, like a really cute Christian poster? And it's like, uh, maybe it's like, uh, it's like the sands of the beach and there's some footprints on it and it has this really cute, true, but inspirational phrase. It says like, God ordains your footsteps. You know, it's really inspirational. It's really cute. People put it on the wall. You know, you see one of those or uh, maybe there's like a picture of like a raging storm. Or there's like a peaceful scene in the middle of it, you know, and, and Jesus is standing there and it's like, Jesus calms your storms. You ever seen one of those, you know, or you heard that, heard that song, you know? God calms your storms. And that's true. God does calm your storms. He really does. But uh, let me read verse 4 for you. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Okay? The same God that calms your storms is often the author of some of your storms. Sometimes God uses uncomfortable means to wake us up in life like Jonah when we're sleeping. This is the part of God that we don't like. We like the storm-calming God. We don't like the storm-causing God, okay? Right? Like, when you get a poster of that, it's like, it's like God causes your storms and the guy's getting blown over and it's like the winds, you know? It's like God causes your storms. We don't think about this. And yet the reality is, is that oftentimes there's providence behind our problems. And in the ancient world, they would over-spiritualize things. It's like the, the rain was falling, like, oh, God's crying today. You know, they would, they would over-spiritualize everything. But in our Western American world, we under-spiritualize everything. And we forget that oftentimes even the struggles that we have in life, that God is often using those in our lives to wake us up. Because Jonah is running from the call of God. He doesn't want to go to Assyria. He doesn't want to do that. He's being a baby. He's throwing a fit. And he's like, I'm going to get on a ship. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to ignore God. And God's just going to find somebody else to live out this calling. And yet what we see here is the next thing, is that God will disrupt your comfort so you can discover your purpose. God is more than happy to disrupt your comfort in life so you can fulfill your purpose. I was uh, gardening, um, <laughs> was gardening uh, last weekend, and I've told you before, like, gardening's like my new thing, uh, which some people make fun of me for, but I love it, so just back off, you know, I, I like gardening, and I'm a guy, and whatever, you know. Um, I'm gardening, and I, my, my task for the day was to clear out my two front uh, flower beds and um, to put new um, edgers or trim rocks, I don't know what they're called, um, I'm, I'm, I'm new to it, um, but uh, to make it look nice, and that was my agenda for the day. All I was doing, I, I woke up, and I was like, you know what, this is what I'm doing today. And so I'm out there, and it's like, you know, July, and it's Houston, and I'm sweating like the surface of the sun, you know, and the kid keeps running out and crying about things, you know, I'm getting this done, trying to, to knock out my agenda, and Halsey comes out, and just as cute as can be, she's like, hey, honey, um, can you go get this big pot for me in the back? Because she decided that her agenda for the day was that she was going to plant flowers in a bunch of pots. So she comes out, and she's like, hey, honey, can you get this uh, pot for me? I was like, oh, yeah, and I have this thing, because I'm a smart husband. I, I do this thing where, like, I, I don't know if I inherently do it, but, like, I will say I'll do something knowing I'm not going to do it just so she'll stop asking me to do it, and I'm assuming that she's going to forget, right? Maybe I'm the only sinner in the house today, but uh, that's what I do, right? I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no worries, yeah. And so she goes back inside because she's watching the kids. Um, so she goes inside, and she comes out 15 minutes later, right? And she's like, um, hey, uh, can, you, can you get the pot for me? She's not mad, you know, because she's a smart wife. And so she knows, I'm not going to get mad. I'm just going to keep asking him every 15 minutes to do the same thing, right? 
uh, one of our uh, uh, elders here at the church, Chris Branson, has an amazing uh, dad joke. And he's like, um, if a man says he's going to do something, there's no need to remind him about it every six months, right? Just, just know that, right? There's no need to remind him every six months, right? He's going to get to it, right? You know, good joke. But she comes up 15 minutes later for a third time and asks me. At this point, I'm getting worried that, like, oh, gosh, she's not going to stop asking me. I'm going to have to actually do this. It's like a big old pot, and it's really heavy, and it's hot. I don't want to do it. I don't care about flowers. I just want to get my, you know, my, my beds clear in the front, and that's all I want to do. And she comes out for a fourth time. And she's like, hey, honey, um, you know, make me look like an idiot. It's like, hey, can you get the pot for me, you know? I've been asking you to do that, you know? And eventually I'm like, okay, I'll do it just so you will stop asking me. That's like, not even out of the goodness of my heart, but out of the anger in my heart. I will go get you the pot. I will bring it to the front. I will stop what I'm doing in the middle of the surface of the sun. I'll get you the pot. And so I got the pot and I brought it back. And she was like, oh, thank you, honey. I appreciate it. And I was really angry, right? But what it reminded me was this, and maybe you're like me, maybe you forget this. I'm a part of a family. And you know what it means when you're a part of a family? It's not just about you. And it's not just about your agenda. That when you're married, your wife's agenda becomes your agenda. I don't just wake up and say, yeah, yeah. Just give some praise for that, right? When, you, when you're married, right, it's not just like, this is what I'm doing today, and nobody else can speak into that. And then you become a dad, right? And now, for me, on my, every day, half of my agenda is watching Nene, which is this horse show that Molly likes to watch on the television. It's like a horse cartoon. She's like, Nene, Nene, I want to watch Nene, you know? And so half of my day is watching Nene. But that's part of my agenda. Why? Because I'm a part of a family. It's not just about me and what I think and what I think I need to be doing in my life. And that's what it's like with God, and that's what we forget. And I get it. You've got your life, and you've got your agenda, and you've got what you're doing, and Jonah had what he wanted to do and didn't want to do, and God's like, listen, I know that you don't want to do this. I know it's uncomfortable, but something great's going to happen here, Jonah, and I'm telling you to go be a part of that. And God will disrupt your comfort the same way my wife kept disrupting my agenda for the day and will keep coming to you and coming to you until you realize that the purpose of your life is not to be comfortable, but to pour out your life to serve other people. I love this quote by one of my favorite preachers today. His name is Ray Ortland. He says this, The Lord has more ways of confronting us than we have of evading him. The Lord has more ways of confronting us than we have of evading him. And what you need to know is that God has millions of ways of moving you towards his will for your life. And one of those is disruption. And I believe a far better use of your life is not just living your life to fix your problems. Because let me tell you a secret. Uncle John's going to tell you a secret today, okay? You ready for this? Don't forget this. You will always have problems in your life. You fix your current problems, you know what you're going to have? New problems. You fix those problems, you're going to have new problems, right? One kid gets better, the other kid goes crazy, right? That's how life works, right? The marriage gets better, your job stinks, okay? The job gets better, the, uh, I don't know, the pipes in your house break, you know? And now you're broke again because you've got to pay for new pipes, you fix that and someone offends you on social media, you know, or you don't like the new president. There, there's always problems that you're going to have. 
And so to just to live your life only to fix those same old problems, those same issues, literally is not really the call of our life. We're called to grow in our faith and grow in our sanctification, but we're supposed to give our life primarily to ministering to others and to worshiping God. Give your life away, Jesus says. There's a powerful passage in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Um, it'll be up on the screen behind me. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Listen to what Paul says. This is Paul going through a problem, and listen to what happens in it. He says, So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me point out, like, seven things from this passage. Number one, Paul is uncomfortable, but God does not change that. Number two, something difficult comes upon Paul. Number three, that difficult thing was from God. Number four, Paul prayed that God would take it away. Number five, God said no, because there was a purpose behind it. Number six, that purpose was to humble him, to make his message more powerful and more effective. And then number seven, Paul accepts it and begins to see the wonder of even his pain in his life. See, Paul's ministry was growing. He was getting bigger. God was using him and speaking to him. And he's maybe starting to get a big head because we tend to do that when things go well for us. And so God gives him a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know exactly what that is. People have speculated, but we don't know exactly what that is. But there was something going wrong in Paul's life. And God was using that discomfort to humble him, but also to make his message more powerful so that it would reach more people and impact more people. And so when we struggle in life or when we feel uncomfortable, that does not mean that we're not in God's will. Because when God says no, there's always a good reason for it. And the reason is always good, even if we don't understand it. God will disrupt your comfort to find your purpose. Let's go on to Jonah 2. Let's just read a few more verses, starting in verse 7. Jonah 2, starting in verse 7. This is Jonah. He gets swallowed by the great fish. Some people say it's a whale, but we don't know exactly what kind of fish it was. It's a big old fish that swallows him. And while he's in the fish, it's funny because some people would see this as a tragedy, but Jonah sees it as salvation. Often we think our problems are ruining us, but in reality they're saving us from wasting our life and calling us back to the life that we're supposed to be living. And so he repents, and we see this in verse 7. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so Jonah repents. He says, I, I shouldn't have ran from God. I should have gone to fulfill that ministry. I should have been pouring my life out for others. I haven't been, but I realize that, and I'm coming back to you, God. But I'm going to point out something unique here today. 
Because once again, I'm focused on God in this story. And you will notice that God saves Jonah from drowning. But God does not just save Jonah. We're going to see this more next week. He does not just save Jonah and say, okay, now go on living a very comfortable life all for yourself. No. God saves Jonah so that he can then go live out the original calling that God had for him and so that God can save other people the same way that God saved Jonah. And so this is really important. And I think if you get one thing today, please get this. That what God has done in you, he intends to do through you. What God has done in your life, he wants to do through your life. If God has saved you out of your sin and out of your darkness and into his marvelous light, he wants to use you for that purpose in this world. If you have found a home in this church, if you have found love and support, if if this is a place for you, then God wants you to invite other people to be a part of that. And I know it's tempting because we have a great church here and we're small and we love each other and we're all best friends. And like, I love going to church. It's my favorite hour of the week. Not even, that's not preacher talk. Like I truly love, I love seeing you guys. I love hearing about your week. I love growing with you. I love singing with you. But I've had an amazing experience in this church. And so that means that God is calling me to open that to other people. Church, we're called to be door holders. To say there's room here for you too. If God has saved you from an addiction, then you know part of what your calling is in this life? To help other people with their addiction. God shows us this in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So right here, Jesus has spent three years discipling the original disciples. And after the process is finished and he's about to ascend back into heaven, here's what he tells them in verse 19. Now go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God invests in the disciples. And then he says, now you are to go make disciples. Church, if someone is pouring into you right now and investing in you and calling you to follow Jesus, then that's your call to do for someone else as well. If somebody has welcomed you into this community, then we are called to welcome others into the community. If somebody has served you on the the Sunday squad or the greet team or the kids, if somebody has served you, then we are called to do it for others. And so you might say today, well, what does this mean for me? How does this sermon change my life? And it simply is just this. Number one, God wants to turn your no into go. I believe everybody here this morning that there is a place that God is calling us to go to. There's a ministry, there's a calling, and maybe it's just getting back to sharing God's love with people. And God, you've been telling them, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to lean in. You know, I don't want to serve that person. I don't want to serve my spouse. I don't want to do this. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've got going on. I can't do it, God. I don't like that person. I don't like these people. I don't want to do it. And God wants to take your no into go. And right now, I'm not even talking about sin, though obviously we are called to come out of our sin. I'm talking about being a part of sharing God's love and forgiveness with those around you. Church, our life should look different than anybody else. One of my favorite Francis Chan quotes, he's a great pastor and author. He says, there's something wrong if our life 
makes sense to non-believers. There's something wrong if people look at us and we're normal. God is calling us out of normal because normal in this culture is selfish. You know, we'll, we'll occasionally do a good deed to feel good about ourselves, but Christians are called to literally give our life away to serve God and to serve people. And I promise you, if you give your life away, like Jesus said, you will find your life. If you could find comfort, you would have found it by now. 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 80 years is enough, right? If you could have found the perfectly comfortable life with no problems, you would have done it by now. Jesus said, in this life, we will have trouble In this world, we will have trouble, but we can overcome those things as we serve each other and serve God and pour our life out for him. And so as we draw to a close today, I want to close with a very special passage of scripture. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. It's 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. And I want to explain why this is such an important scripture. This is the Apostle Paul writing. And yet most people believe that this is actually, um, 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul ever wrote before he was martyred for the faith. And in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, he's writing to a young pastor that he's mentoring and been pouring into. And Paul begins to write what he knows will probably be his final words that he will ever write. These are some of the last words of Paul after all the ministry and all the shipwrecks and all the hardships and all the prison sentences and all of the beatings and all the things he's been through and the, the thorn in his side and the things that he did and the moments of depression after all of those things. This is him speaking at the end of his life and listen to the words that he says. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. He says, man, I've been, I've been pouring out my life. I've just been pouring it out for everybody. But the time of my departure has come. Verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. These are the last words of Paul. He knew his time had come. But he had no regrets because he had been pouring his life out the entire time. He says, I've been fighting the good fight. I've done it. And you want to know what the good fight is? The good fight is also the great commandment. To love God, to love people, and forget everything else. He had no regrets. See, Paul knew the only thing that mattered in the beginning was God and his love. He knew that in that moment, all that mattered was God and his love. And church, please walk out of here reorienting your life around this idea that the only thing that matters in the end is the only thing that matters right now. The only thing that matters on your deathbed is the only thing that matters right now. You see, we want comfort, but God wants legacy for us. 
We want an easy life, but God wants us to change the lives of other people. If you're married, you're called to serve your spouse. That's part of your calling. If you have kids, your call is to love and serve them. If you're a part of a church, you're called to love and to serve and to give and to pour everything you have out. If you live in a community, you're called to love those people. If you're in a job, you're called to love those people. I know most people around you, they're, they're not thinking about anybody else. They're not trying to share their religion or their worldview with you because they have no religion and they have no worldview. And they don't share hope with you because they don't have any hope. And if they do have hope and they don't share that hope with you, then that means they don't even love you. We share not because we're annoying, because we actually have something in this life. I heard a famous author once say that the reason why people don't share or talk about important things anymore is because our Western world has ceased to believe that important things even exist. There is no hope, so don't kind of tell anybody anything. But we have something here. We have the gospel that you can be filthy and sinful, and evil, and broken, and depressed, and God can heal you and save you for now and forever. It's real. The only thing that matters in the end is the only thing that matters right now. Think about your funeral. This is what you don't want people to say. I never forgot that time that he bought himself that nice, fancy car. What a guy. I'll never forget that time he was able to bench 300 pounds and posted it on Facebook. What a guy. Nothing wrong with benching 300 pounds. I'm just jealous because never, I'll never be able to do that. But we, we center our lives around those kinds of things, don't we? I'll never forget how comfortable his life was. The only thing that matters in the end is the only thing that matters right now. And in the end, just like Paul, all that's going to matter it's the good fight. Wherever you're at, wherever God has positioned you, you are called to pour your life out there. Pour it out, pour it out. Even when it's uncomfortable, keep doing it and you will find your life. Do not waste your life. Do not run from the call. Be an influencer for Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that's going to stand. Everything here is going to fade away. All the businesses, all the stuff, all the organizations, but the church will still be here. It's the only thing that lasts. White Oak, let's serve together, let's love together, let's pour our lives out together. Let's be a church full of people giving our lives away for the only thing that matters. And that's Jesus and his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we come back to you in this moment. God, we have wandered from you in so many ways. I'm the first and foremost of that, God. Lord, I worried about things this week that don't really matter. And God, as much as I want you to heal my anxiety and fix my worries and problems, God, more than anything, I just want you to turn my eyes from those things. God, can we come back to you today? Can we recenter our life on your love and your promise and your hope? Will you take us back? That's our prayer today, Father. God, we will go. We will share your love. We will serve in your church. Send us, God. You need something to do it, God? I would love to do it. Destroy my fear. Strengthen my hands. And help us to live this out together. 
pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.